to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Guilt is a good thing. Now, of course, the psychologists have done their best to convince us that we should never be guilty of anything or feel guilty about anything. And that's the mentality of so many today. But, you know, if you stop feeling guilty for doing wrong things, that is a major sign of a radically hardened heart. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapters 43 through 45 in a message titled, I Am Joseph, Your Brother. Now here's Pastor Brian. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? (laughs) This is amazing. But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go and live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. The famine is is pressing in on them. He's saying, look, we've got to go. He said, I myself will be surety or I will be a guarantee for him from my hand you shall require him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you then let me bear the blame forever for if we had not lingered surely by now we would have returned the second time and so Judah now is the one who's sort of stepping up and remember Reuben had previously said you know you can kill my two sons if anything happens to Benjamin. And Jacob just, you know, didn't listen to anything Reuben had to say. But now, now Judah is stepping up and he's taking the responsibility. He's reasoning here with Jacob. And so verse 11, their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best of the fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio, nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Remember, one of the troubling things was uh, when they had returned home, they found that their money was in their sacks. And so they weren't sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing. So they didn't spend it. They've kept it. Now Jacob's saying, take the money back down. Take your brother also, 
Arise and go back to the man, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Now, look at Jacob at this point. Remember the last thing we saw about him in the previous study was, you know, as he, as he cried out, all things are against me. And now here he's again at this place, you know, if I'm bereaved, I am bereaved, but there's a little, there's a little glimmer of hope that comes through here as he makes reference to God. May God Almighty give you mercy before the man. And as we pointed out with Abraham and, and as we also saw with Isaac and as we've seen with Jacob again, these are the patriarchs, these are the, the founders of the nation, these are the men of faith, but we see that they were very much human, they were very much subject to moments of doubt and weakness and failure. And Jacob is, you know, at this point, you'd have to say that he's pretty much defeated. It's just sort of a, well, you know, I don't know what's happening. Maybe God will have mercy on us. You know, I, perhaps I'll be bereaved even of Benjamin, but you know, it's sort of like, well, what else can we do? So not a whole lot of, of faith really with Jacob at this point. He's in a cloudy kind of a time. He just doesn't really see how there's any possible good that's gonna come out of this. But as we pointed out last time, remember he's right on the verge of the greatest blessings in his whole life, but he can't see it. He's, he's in the dark to it. He thinks that th this is the worst possible thing that, that could have happened to him up, up until this point, but he's right there. And like we said, you know, sometimes that's, that's just the way it is. It seems like we're, we're at a place where it just, you know, it couldn't get any worse. It just keeps going from bad to worse. And we can't even imagine how things could improve. We can't, for the life of us, begin to even see how things could, could work out or, or get any better. But you know, we could be right on the threshold of a great work of God and God turning everything around it. And I think when it gets to the point where it is that desperate, that's probably exactly where we are. We're right at that place. But boy, sometimes right at that place, that's where it's the darkest. That's where it's the foggiest. That's where you can't see, you know, an, an inch in front of you. But that, of course, is when the Lord will so many times come through. And so that's where we're at with Jacob. He doesn't know it, but he's on the threshold of great blessings. So the men took that present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time 
that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us and take us as slaves uh, with our donkeys. So these guys can only see the worst possible situation. And remember, one of the reasons for that is because they're, they're bearing this tremendous guilt about what they had done to their brother Joseph 20 years earlier. They don't realize that this is him. But this is eating away at them. And from this whole incident, as it began to develop, and as uh, this Egyptian ruler started to treat them roughly and accuse them of being spies, the very first thing they said was, it's because of what we did to Joseph. So now they're in, you know, kind of just a state of paranoia. And they're thinking, okay, this has got to be a bad sign. He's invited us into his house. What's he going to do? He's going to build a case against us. He's going to make us slaves. He's going to take our donkeys. The guilt that was eating away at them. But you know, that was a good sign because it showed that they had, you know, there was some conviction with these guys. Remember, as we've sort of looked at their lives, at some of them a little bit closer up than others, we see that you know, these were a rough bunch of guys. They weren't your ideal spiritual men for the most part. They were very, very carnal. But as all of these years have passed, what we're going to see is that through this long process of time, God's been working on them. And it's a good thing that they're guilty. It's a good thing that they haven't been able to just rid themselves of of what they had done to their brother, it shows that there was still, you know, some hope there. There was still some sensitivity there. Guilt is a good thing. Now, of course, the psychologists have done their best to convince us that we should never be guilty of anything or feel guilty about anything. And that's the the mentality of so many today that you shouldn't feel guilty about a thing. But you know, if you, if you stop feeling guilty for doing wrong things, that is a, a major sign of, of a radically hardened heart. Guilt is a good thing. God uses guilt to drive us to seek his mercy and his forgiveness. So these guys, we can see that something's stirring in them because They're living with this guilt. So verse 19, when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we brought it back in our hand and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Now listen to this. But he said, this is Joseph's servant. He said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasures in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So this whole thing has got to be completely confusing to them. You know, they're they're, they're guilty. They're thinking, oh, no, this is it. We're going in there, and, you know, we're going to end up in prison. We're going to end up slaves the rest of our life. And, and then, you know, trying to, oh, hey, this money, we don't know how it turned up. And the guy says, oh, the Lord put it in there, the God of your father. And this is an Egyptian talking to them. But, but the interesting thing, I think, is, is that you see here, 
Joseph must have had a tremendous spiritual influence on some of the Egyptians. This guy's speaking about not the Egyptian gods, but he's speaking about the true God, the God of Jacob, the God of your father. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house, gave them water, and they washed their feet and gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand, into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Remember those dreams. Then he asked them about the well-being, their well-being and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. So it could have been a considerable amount of time. Some uh, commentators estimate maybe even a couple of years since they had left and left Simeon. Maybe not that long, but evidently a period of time did transpire. And they answered, your servant, he's in good health. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes, Joseph, and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now remember, Joseph was 17 when he was sold by them into slavery. And Benjamin was probably at least 10 years younger than Joseph. So the last time he would have seen Benjamin, he would have been a kid of about seven years old, maybe. And so Joseph is laying eyes upon Benjamin for the first time now in 20 years. And he just, it's, you know, it's almost like he just burst forth, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and he wept there. Oh, this, this is just so touching. You know, I don't, I don't know for you, but you know, when I read it, I, I get all weepy, you know. I'm just like, oh, this is so, you know, there he is. And, you know, look at the love, though, that Joseph has. I mean, these guys were scoundrels. These guys sold him. They wanted to kill him. But, but then they sold him, didn't care about him at all, hated him. But there he is. And as he's, he's there with them and as he's seen their anxiety over all of this, and then laying eyes on, on Benjamin. It's, it's all just too much for him emotionally. So he washed his face, and he came out, and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself, and them, his brothers, by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. So Joseph had them seated according to their age, beginning with the oldest, down to the youngest. Now, Henry Morris said, <laughs> he's the kind of guy who liked to calculate things. He said that if you took these 11 guys 
you could come up with 40 million different possibilities of seating for them. So the chance that you could get them seated in order would be one in 40 million. So these guys are rightly astonished. Something weird is going on here as they look around the room and they realize they're seated in order. Of course, Joseph is orchestrating all of this. Now, the thing that we have to see here too is Joseph is actually doing something. This, there, he has a plan here. And what Joseph is in the process of doing is really he's trying to ascertain as to whether or not these guys have changed. Are they the same wicked, cruel bunch of guys that they were previously or has 20 years softened their hearts? Are they different? And, and this whole thing is, has been orchestrated by Joseph as a test to see where they're really at. And so he took the servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs, so they drank and were merry with him. So Joseph, now remember, Jacob did what? He showed favoritism to Joseph. Joseph is now showing favoritism to Benjamin. Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph, and these men hated Joseph for it. Joseph is showing favoritism to Benjamin, and no doubt he was looking to see their reaction to that. But they passed the test. There was no envy. There was no jealousy. They drank, and they were merry with him. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. So everything is great. These guys, all of their fears were unfounded. It seems to them now, nobody, you know, put them in prison. They didn't steal their donkeys. They didn't execute them. They, you know, they had a great dinner with Joseph and they were given an abundance and they were sent back on their way. Now, when they had gone out of the city, and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up and follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in doing so. So it's the cup, remember, that they're referring to here. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And he said to him, why does my Lord say these things? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? These guys are saying, this is ridiculous. We haven't stolen anything. The steward says, with whomever of your servants it is found... 
or they said, with, with whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. They are so absolutely confident that this is a mistake. They're saying, hey, whoever you find, you know, kill the one that you find with this thing if you think we've got it, and then the rest of us will be your slaves. And he said, now also, let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched, he began with the oldest, and left off with the youngest. So think about this. I mean, you know, there's these 11 guys. They're absolutely confident. This is a, a case of, you know, they're mistaken. Hey, if you find it with somebody, kill them, and, and the rest of us will be your slaves. They were so confident that they were not guilty of this. And so beginning with Reuben, right on through the 10, no cup in anybody's sack. And then of course, Benjamin would never do anything like that. Our little brother, he wouldn't steal a thing. No doubt that's what's going on in their heads. And then Benjamin's sack is opened and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Oh, Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? Listen, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. What's he talking about? He's talking about the incident 20 years earlier. And Judah is relating all that's happening to them now as the judgment of God upon them for what they did to Joseph. So it's a good thing because what he's essentially doing is confessing that they had sinned. That's what he's doing. Now, notice we've had two references to divination here. Divination, it was believed in the ancient world and still among some people that you can discern the future or tell the future through you know, certain things. And in the case with a cup, there were those that believed by the swirling of wine in a cup and watching its movements, you could predict the future. Now, remember, Joseph was a man who was a, he was a prophet. He interpreted dreams. He got into the position that he was in because he was able to tell Pharaoh the meaning of his dream. So Joseph had amongst the Egyptians this uh, reputation as being um, a seer. Now, they interpreted that as divination. Joseph was not into divination he would not have been at all because that was part of a cultic, idolatrous type of religion. And of course, Joseph was worshiping the true God. But Joseph, of course, is going along with all of this because he doesn't want to blow his cover as an Egyptian. He, he's going to press this thing all the way to the end, and it's essential all the way to the very end that they think that he is just who they think he is, this Egyptian Lord who is powerful, second only to Pharaoh, and who has these divining powers, even. 
December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Stalls. Do you fight an internal hidden battle all alone? Or do you hear the quiet shaming of your own inner thoughts over past actions and regrets? If you answered yes to these questions, then you are not alone at all. In his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, Scott Sauls shares about God's counter voice against the nagging voice of silent inner shaming. You'll also discover the secret of contentment, even in the face of guilt and regret, because God wants you to notice that He notices you. Your regrets, hurts, and fears don't have to define who you are, because in the hands of God, they are being repurposed as instruments that are shaping you into who He has destined you to become. The book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.